So last weekend we started back up the Gospel of John, right? Chapter 18, we looked at Jesus' arrest in the garden and how he was willing to lay down his life for us. He willingly gave up his life for us. If you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go on our website. You can listen to it on there. You can also listen to it on our podcast. Today we're going to be talking and going through the end of chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and start turning to the end of chapter 18. This is a discussion between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking uh, into this discussion between them and their interaction with a group of Jewish leaders. And there's a lot to discover about Jesus in, in the text. And I'm really looking forward to walking through that with you today. But before we do, I'd love for us to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for who you are. Thank you that you care about this church. Thank you that you built this church, that this church is yours. And any time that we try to put it into our own hands and make it ours, I pray that we would find ourselves on our knees, humbled before you, God, desiring your will to be done. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to pick it up at uh, chapter 18, verse 28. I think this week we have it on the screen. Yeah. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? (laughs) If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. (laughs) You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. (laughs) What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in uprising. A lot going on here in this dialogue, and for the rest of our time together, I'd I'd like to pull out some of the truth from the text that God would want us to hear this morning. So here's Jesus. As we learned last week, he was arrested. He was brought to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He's questioned there. Then he's brought to Caiaphas. He's questioned there. Now it's early in the morning, and he's brought before Pilate. The end of chapter 18 and the beginning of chapter 19 all have the same setting. You're going to find these Jewish opponents on the outside of the palace. And you're going to find Jesus on the inside of the palace after Pilate summons him. Pilate is going to be kind of a go-between, between the Jewish leaders on the outside and Jesus on the inside. He goes back and forth, back and forth. In fact, if you map it out, there are seven total scenes in this setting. The first three we're going to be addressing today. Next week, I'm going to finish up with the last four. 
First scene, outside. First scene is outside. The Jewish leaders demand Jesus' death. We do have notes for you as well in your bulletin. Uh, there's no fill-in-blanks today, but uh, there's a section for you to uh, write down your thoughts. So the first one is outside. The Jewish leaders demand Jesus' death. We are told to avoid ceremonial uncleanness. They did not enter the palace, the Jewish leaders, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So interesting here. They take great care to make sure that they avoid any ceremonial pollution, to avoid any defilement that would occur by probably because of entering a house of a Gentile. Again, it's during Passover and there's probably leaven in the house of a Gentile. You want it, uh, it would be strictly prohibited uh, during Passover. So they're staying out of there. They're making sure on the outside, right, that they're really trying to do the right thing, outwardly looking like they're doing the right thing. But come on, on the inside, they hate Jesus, right? Ready to secure his death by the most horrific means, execution, crucifixion. It's such a great example to me that we can be so very religious And yet, on the inside, be a terrific sinner. On the outside, following the rules, yet on the inside, filled with hate. And it's amazing to me, but i got to be honest, every one of us in this room are so very capable of acting the same way today. But here we are, Pilate, he's speaking to the Jewish leaders. They've come to Pilate because they want Jesus to be crucified. A very specific form of death. They want everyone to know that Jesus is accursed of God. Any good Jew who has read their book of Deuteronomy would know that someone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Remember, why did John write his gospel? John had a very specific purpose for his gospel to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, even God himself. His opponents, they've rejected the claim, right? They've rejected Jesus. And now they are pursuing his death to vindicate their conclusion to show that Jesus is under God's curse. But even the actions of Jesus' enemies in this scene, really they bear witness to the glory of his identity, right? And, and of what he is in the process of accomplishing as the very Son of God. Verse 32 states, again, this desire for Roman execution took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So though they've rejected his claim as a deity, he is showing himself as the Son of God once again in this passage. So here Pilate is. He's hearing this desire for execution. And then he goes back inside and he summons Jesus to go in with him. Made it to the second scene, okay? Second scene where Pilate questions Jesus about his kingship. And this scene takes place inside. This scene is all about a Roman official trying to figure out what's going on, what he's dealing with. And he starts out with a very reasonable question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? He asks this because in Luke 23, we find that these Jewish leaders, they began to accuse him, accuse Jesus. We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Well, this would catch the attention of any Roman official, right? Opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar. 
Which, by the way, is a completely false, ridiculous claim. So much so that as you read the text, you don't find Pilate addressing this accusation again. But Pilate does his job. He interrogates Jesus. He asks him some questions. He finds out who he is. What's Jesus' response? Jesus talks about uh, this kingdom that is not of this world from another place. So then Pilate goes, oh, so you are a king then. Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now hold up. Do you you see what just happened? Jesus goes right past Pilate's statement. The statement was, you are a king then. But Jesus says, you say that I am a king. But then he puts Pilate on the spot. See, he gives him a chance to see and accept the truth. I hope you catch this. Listen up. What does he say? He says, the reason I was born... The reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He is setting Pilate up. Pilate at that moment has an opportunity, the same opportunity that every one of you and myself has to accept Jesus and to accept the truth. Not relative truth, not just truth for today, but the truth. Do you see it? Pilate Pilate is engaging with Jesus at this surface level. He's just asking him just really plain Jane questions. Right now, Jesus and Pilate are at two different levels. Pilate, he's questioning a man that was thrown before him by an angry mob, right? By an angry group of Jews. He's trying to figure out whether the Roman government even needs to get involved or not in this whole mess. But as Pilate asks these simple and straightforward questions, Jesus, again, is answering on a whole another level. Jesus, I believe, is answering with life. With life. He has just explained to Pilate that he came to testify to the truth and that those on the side of truth listen to him. Pilate, a man of reason, a man of intellect, has just heard Jesus declare that he is the truth, that Jesus knows all the answers, which you and I as believers actually believe, right? That Jesus has the truth and Jesus is the truth. There's so many scriptures in the Bible. I just want to walk through a couple of them. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14:6. John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Pilate, he's confronted with the truth. And what is Pilate's response? What is truth? What is truth? The same response that millions upon millions of people give each and every day. What is truth? In fact, I could give a whole sermon series just on that phrase and how popular that response is in today's society. Right? I mean, that is such a popular response. Relative truth is so popular today. But I'd say this response by Pilate, even more than being some, you know, great philosophical remark, I believe is really Pilate's just dismissal of the whole thing. He's he's, his dismissal of Jesus as a political threat. He's heard enough. This man, Jesus, he talks of a kingdom, not of this world, where his disciples won't even fight, where his disciples won't even fight to prevent his arrest. What kind of kingdom is that? Pilate doesn't need to hear anything more. Jesus is not a threat to him. What is truth? That's his response. I wrote, Jesus had thrown life-giving seed toward Pilate, but it had fallen on a beaten path. 
He does not listen to Jesus. So according to what Jesus has just said about the truth, Pilate is on the wrong side of the truth. Do you see that? And that's kind of important when you think about today, 2012. If you are not listening to Jesus, you are not on the side of truth. You are on the opposite side of truth. Wow. That's a pretty intense statement. But it's the truth. All right, we're going to finish up chapter 18. Move on to this third scene with the interaction with Pilate. We're going to move back outside. So we've been outside, then inside. Pilate just responded, what is truth? And then he moves outside right away where Pilate tells Jews that are gathered around this statement. He says, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. What that must have sounded like. Grown, angry men shouting at the top of their lungs, rejecting Jesus and asking for Barabbas. You see what's happening. By now, both Jew and Gentile have rejected the truth. The Roman politician, Pilate, and the Jewish leaders. I hope as a church, this rejection of truth does something to us as children of the truth. I hope it messes with us. I remember crying earlier this week when I was reading this passage because of the intensity of mankind's rejection of Jesus. Here he is, the son of God who has come to offer eternal life to those who would believe in him. And instead, man rejects him and in doing so, rejects the truth. I want this to sink in into our hearts. Every one of us. Because every day in our community, every day, this is happening. This rejection of truth. People are rejecting him on a daily basis. And to be honest, you and I know what that feels like as well. Even this morning, some of you are right in the middle of rejecting truth and not following Jesus. But I have some good news for you and for me. You see, Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Wow, that's good news. I mean, it is the good news. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. I read to you John 3, 16 and 17 last week. I love those passages. In fact, 17 is where I get that phrase that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. But last week I stopped after verse 17 because I knew I wanted to share the following verses with you this week. And these are very important in regards to this whole discussion of rejecting the truth that I set up this morning. Let me read to you again John 3, 16 and 17 like I did last week. But this time I'm going to continue to read and hopefully it will be up on your screen. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let me read verses 18 and 19 again. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light, Jesus, has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You know, I read a passage like this and I just think, just believe, just believe, right? It sounds so simple. Just believe in the name of Jesus. Yet the scripture tells us that people reject him on the daily because the light has come into the world, but people have loved the darkness. Have you ever experienced this kind of rejection of Jesus? Maybe in your family, acquaintances, friends. I have throughout my life. I, throughout my life, again and again and again, I've seen this happen. I love golf. Anyone like golf out here? I love golf. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of golf in the summertime. Way too many people. Uh, it takes way too long in the summertime to play 18 holes of golf. So you're not going to find me out there in the summer. But late fall, winter, early spring, oh my goodness, that is my golf season. I love it. See, no one else is out there. There's a reason no one else is out there, right? It's cold, it's rainy, it's muddy. It's actually pretty miserable. You come back just drenched in rain and mud. But I love it because no one else is out there and they have really good deals. I'm also a cheap golfer. I don't like pay a lot of money. Well, oftentimes when you're golfing, you might find another guy out there that's by himself as well. And it's kind of fun to have a companion, someone you can talk to. So oftentimes you'll join up. And for me as a pastor, I love it because I get to uh, talk to people about Jesus. And I never want to give up on an opportunity to do that. But by the fourth or fifth hole, the question always arises. It goes something like, what do you do for a living? And by now, they've used several choice words. Um, lots of foul language, uh, sworn by Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. And, uh, <laughs> and then they find out I'm a pastor, and they feel awful. I mean, these are good guys. They feel just terrible. I golfed with these two construction workers. Incredible guys. But yeah, the words were flying out of their mouth. And one guy, when he found out I was a pastor, he was trying so hard not to swear. And he just kept on coming out. And every time he'd apologize to me, and finally I was just like, dude, you're an awesome guy. You know, you're awesome. You just let's play and have some fun. Don't worry about it. Um, but one time I mentioned I was a pastor to this retired scientist uh, who had worked for the government. When I told him I was a pastor, wow. Just, you know, we had, we had such a good time before that. And when I told him I was a pastor... I'm just being honest with you. Everything changed. He started getting really grumpy with me. He started asking me just these questions like, what's the deal with Jesus? And what's the deal with church? And what's the whole thing about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit totally creeps me out. I mean, literally, this is, he asked me those three questions. And I answered all three questions. I actually got to share the gospel message uh, with this guy. Um, I told him what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I explained to him who the Holy Spirit was. And I told him I would be praying for him. But, you know, he hated every minute of that golf round. He did. Um, I, I can't give you, a, like, a rosy picture of it. He, he was just miserable. Um, not happy to be out there with a pastor, and, which is hilarious because no one else is in the course. And he's like, great, here I am, you know, with a pastor. Now, I do believe God might have had something to do with that. But um, at some point in his life, he had decided that Jesus was on the wrong side of the truth. Do you get that? At some point in his life, he had decided that Jesus wasn't the truth. And so even mentioning his name, the name of Jesus, was enough for this man to shut down. Change his interaction with me, not wanting to be there a second longer than he had to be with me on that course. 
As a pastor, I also love getting haircuts. I love it. Because when you get a haircut, they always ask you what you're doing for a living. And I always get to tell my hairdressers that I'm a pastor. I love it. And more times than not, it opens up some great conversation. They'll be like, oh, I used to go to church. Or, yeah, I live by a church. Um, my great-grandma, she really you know, goes to her church. Or, I don't know, my kids really need to go to church. They get in trouble all the time. Or, but sometimes when I mention that I'm a pastor, everything changes. And that becomes a pretty nerve-wracking experience for Pastor Dan when the person uh, with the clippers, you know, is not happy. (laughs) Um, It just gets a little intense, you know, when they have the electric shaver and they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And uh, then it's awkward. It's just completely awkward. The rest of the haircut is done in silence and uh, they cannot wait until I'm gone. We see this in the scene today in what we're reading. They cannot wait to get rid of Jesus. They've rejected his claims. They've rejected him. They're ready to move on. Get him out of their life. Ready to live their life without him. And this whole discussion, it it begs a question. What side of truth are you on? What side of truth are you on? Most of us in this room are Christians, so we might, I think, too quickly answer, well, I'm on the side of truth. I'm I'm on the side of Jesus. I'd say, what do your actions say? What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? What would your co-worker say? Do they witness someone who is living a life for Jesus and his truth? Or maybe do they see someone that's maybe living for this world full of its lies and its deception? Far too often, you know, I feel, just to be honest with you, far too often I feel like I'm on the wrong side. When I'm short with my wife and my kids, when I'm too lazy to fold the laundry or clean the bathroom, when I'm frustrated with that lady at the checkout counter that's taken so long or annoyed by the driver that just cut in front of me. Do you, you know what we call that? It has a, it's a three-letter word. Anyone know? Sin. We don't like to call it sin. We make excuses for all of our patheticness. But it's sin. And sin is choosing the opposite of the Lord's perfect truth. Some of us just like to think we're just so great and never do anything wrong, but you're doing stuff that's wrong all the time. And it's opposite of the Lord's truth. But here's the deal, and I want to conclude with this. Our Father in heaven, He understood our propensity to sin. He knew me. He understood my my gift and my talent of turning a deaf ear to the voice of truth. And even with that, he's made a way for us. His love is incredible. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a powerful statement. Not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. The prophet Isaiah says that all of us, Like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Isaiah goes on to say that because of his experience, because of Jesus' death, his sacrifice, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he will bear all their sins. So whether you came into this church today feeling pretty good about yourself, pretty righteous, or maybe you came into this place today feeling pretty beat up, torn down, and exhausted by your sins, your hope is not in yourself. It is not based on what you have done, good or bad. I hope we understand that as a church, that our hope is not based on what we have done, but it's based on what He has done. But you must have faith, and you must believe 
in what he has done. You must have faith in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room knows what it feels like to reject the truth. But listen to here. That rejection did not stop God. It did not stop his love. Hallelujah. That is a powerful statement. Our rejection of him did not stop Jesus from going to the cross. Though we came at him with hate in our hearts. Hate in our hearts. Loving the darkness. Yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He did not waver in his love for us. He continued on that path to the cross. He made a way for us that if we believed in him and confessed him as our Lord, we would be forgiven, saved, and declared righteous. That is good news. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to know, I just want to encourage you, you are on the right side of truth. I know I told you I feel like sometimes I'm on the wrong side. But as Christians... You're on the right side. You are a forgiven child of God. I I don't want to confuse you on that. Yes, you make mistakes. Yes, you're tempted. Yes, you're going to sin. But Romans 5.1 is very specific. It tells us that you are declared righteous by your faith. And you now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that sink in. Don't you forget that. Amen and hallelujah for that. That you are declared righteous not by your works but by your faith. And you now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But my encouragement to you is, come on, come on, church. Can we please listen to the voice of truth? Yes, you are a forgiven child of God, but we so easily forget where that truth resides. We're looking in all the wrong places. As a church, we even do that. We look for truth in all the wrong places. Guess what? The truth is residing within you. It's residing within me because the Holy Spirit The spirit of truth is residing within each one of us. So can we do what he says? Be obedient to what he is telling you and follow his lead in our lives. Yes? Yes. Amen. And if you're not a Christian here today and you're tired of living in the darkness, you're tired of holding on to that hate that you know you have toward God, you're so mad and angry at God, and you're tired of holding on to that hate that you have for others, I want to encourage you with a simple truth. Jesus loves you. He does. He knows all the wicked things you've done. He knows where you've fallen short. He knows about all your doubts and your fears and your questions and your unbelief. But even in that, He loves you. He loves you. And even if you feel like you've been on the wrong side of truth every day of your life, I want you to hear me clearly today. If you didn't hear anything else, hear me now. Today, you can be on the right side of truth. Today, you you have that opportunity today to be on the right side of truth by accepting and believing that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave. Would you pray with me?